You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Hélène Hultin-Anire, the founder at If we are proactive to reach out the why and the what do they want to achieve and why they have purchased that product, what is our value prop, and delivering this proactively to the customer, then it's basically raising a healthy customer base compared to trying to catch up on what are we missing. Sous le ciel de Paris, du, 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 du. Bonjour and welcome to another episode of the SaaS Nordic podcast. Um, we're going to have a French touch on this one. Uh, we're going to talk about customer success today, which is always interesting and um, you know top of mind for for um, for many companies, if not all. Uh, besides that, it's summertime. Summer in the city. A little bit quieter, but uh, it's going to happen a lot uh, in the fall. So um, yeah. Have to keep the the engine going, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I also feel like I should speak for myself here. Like it's summer, the mind is a little bit more relaxed. There's a you know a joke more or two coming, and it's a little bit uh, relaxed mind, relaxed brain. Some new crazy ideas for for 2024, perhaps. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not gonna spill the beans yet. No. Let's see. We th- we always think our ideas are brilliant. <laughs> But it doesn't really matter what we think. It's let's see what you guys think when it's out there. But anyway, let's talk about customer success a little bit and a little bit provocative. Why you should drop your winbacks? Today we are super excited to have Hélène Hultin Anire here as a guest in the SAS Nordic podcast, and she's the founder of. That was a strong opening. So, Helen, how, how did you do uh, on your name? Did you butcher it? That was pretty damn good, I must say. Yeah. Yes. How would you say it? I would say it, Helen Hultin Anire. Yeah. Triple H. So, Boom. Papa, I was double H and I had to marry one more H. Became triple H. This is the story of my life. H is silent in French. From now on, in the next 40 minutes, you're triple H. So, triple H, yes. Helen, mm-hmm. for the ones that might not know you, who are you? So, my name is Helen, let's cut it short. A little bit about myself. I've worked um, as a support agent a long time ago, all the way up to being a director of customer success, always in SaaS companies, startup and scale up. Um, and all of that doesn't really make me much younger, but anyway. Um, the common criteria of all of my experiences has really been my passion for CS uh, and for always delivering a good customer experience to all the clients I was and I am working with. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal is always to go in the extra mile to generate a positive emotion for my clients. Um, and now I'm very fortunate to have my own little boutique style consulting called... So French of you, and boutique style, we like that. So, but... Uh, before we dig into what shh does, like how did you end up in Denmark? Like I, 
I'm assuming here now you sound a little bit French. So usually people ask me, what in France are you from? <laughs> uh, that's how French I am. So I've been living abroad most of my grown-up life, actually. Um, and Denmark was in 2011. Mm -hmm. uh, and I arrived in Denmark for a job in a company called Podio. It was a tiny, small startup uh, where we grew extremely fast and uh, been acquired by Citrix. But I stayed in Denmark for love. Okay. Did you know Martin Minzing? Yes, yes, I know him. He's Swedish, right? Yes, exactly. Of course. He was working as a product owner, manager. Yes. So, yes, of course, I know Martin. Maybe a future podcast guest. Yes. But all right, you, you stayed in Denmark. I stayed in Denmark. We, we, we escaped for two years in New York mm -hmm. between uh, 2018 and 2020. But uh, now we're back and uh, we are here to stay. Okay, so... Uh, if we fast forward a little bit, mm -hmm. you did a career in uh, among these, you know, scale ups, fast growing companies, you know, the, all the way, like you said, from an agent to a director in the field of customer success. And then you decided, F this, I'm starting a boutique consultancy or? So not exactly like that, but it did start it somehow. So it started in New York. It's because very long story short, let me save you from the details. But uh, our second son was born in New York, Emil, mm -hmm. in 2018. And after six months staying with him and his big brother, who was two years old back then, um, I started to get a bit agitated and uh, wanted to do something. Um, and that's how I got my first freelance gig um, in a company called Live Auctioneer uh, in New York. And they had a very concrete challenge back then to increase the conversion they had because they had some silent churn uh, going on, so I could actually help them out. And from there, I discovered that I could bring value to a company in a shorter amount of time. I had only 25 hours a week in my hands, uh, and I could have a positive impact in the company. So I didn't have to be this work alcoholic that I've always been, uh, working way too many hours uh, to actually be efficient uh, in CS. And coming back in Copenhagen when COVID hit in 2020, basically it happened. Uh, the, from LinkedIn magic, I was uh, contacted by company asking if I had capacity to help them out. And one step at a time, it became a little business. And now we are three employees in my little boutique consulting, um, delivering a very operational and executing on concrete project for our clients, always around customer centricity projects cool and what we like about you among other things is that you have opinions right <laughs> and uh, we're gonna focus on uh, on an opinion today and what you said when we spoke before is that you know companies hey you need to drop the wingbacks you're focusing on the wrong things so um, what's a wingback and uh, how do you define it so for me a wingback is when a customer have actually churned, have cancelled their subscription, and we as a business try to get them back on a subscription thanks to different strategies, campaign, um, initiative, incentives, uh, and try to sell them again. Yeah, it's very common practice though in, in B2B SaaS that you know people have these programs to try to give second life to people that left them. But you say like, stop it. For the dry campaign, I would say stop it uh, because I would actually advertise for a lot more proactive uh, action, a lot more prevention. I often talk about prevention to my clients. 
um, and basically understand why some customers are churning and reinvesting those reasons in the business for a better proactive journey, a proactive campaigns to deliver the values that the customer have initially um, acquired. Um, I think doing the dry win back when it's very commercial um, underestimates the value proposition that the company sells uh, and, and discredits uh, everything that sales and marketing have been working so hard to get. Okay, but isn't that the point when the CEO lifts the sort of the phone and uh, say that, oh, why is this? I'll fix it, um, something like that. And I think then it's often come, de depending on the reason, it's often come to other reasons, such as uh, roadmap access. I really wanted that feature. You guys are never implementing it. I, I will move away. Uh, or some sort of privilege that we would make the customer feel very special about it. What I've seen from my experience is that those customers that would get seduced to come back in the long run wouldn't eventually stay because their experience has been impacted negatively at some point in their lifetime um, and competition will be able to get them um, to sign up instead. Okay. So you're basically saying that customers that leave, they are more or less a lost cause. There's too much negativity in the history. So it, it's, it's been my experience so far when working with clients and running a purely commercial win-back campaigns um, that when we measure the lifetime value of the customer base, they are not the ones that will last the longest. They're also not the ones that would have the bigger um, earned growth. Uh, they wouldn't do referral necessarily, or at least less of them. We're always talking about proportion uh, and without making big generalities, there is always the exception, of course. Uh, we have exception for everything in France, so I'm well aware of that. <laughs> Um, but uh, making the generalities of, of uh, trying to save back that value proposition that was impacted, um, my experience have shown that it wouldn't be the most profitable tactic. Okay. So what do you do instead? Like you, you're going to stop your uh, the win back exercise that gives you some time. But what do you do with the time? I think that's when um, customer success runs the, the very healthy way is very positive. Um, and that's very much being obsessed about what it takes. Uh, what does it take to make your customer successful from day one when they join? Um, and that's where I really like the proactive approach, mm -hmm. uh, running ongoing prevention, proactive prevention. But in order to be able to do prevention, we need to make sure that we know all the milestones that the customer need to hit and when. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's when often the success plan will come to place. So a customer would sign up and we know exactly when to focus the effort on what's the call to action for every touch point. Um, and, and basically answer the question before it gets asked. Right. Um, and, and, understanding what's hard with our product. So we focus more on a human basis with this um, and what's easier. So then it's a more of a self-generated uh, journey. Uh, being able to balance that out uh, will also optimize run rates and basically the lifetime journey of the customer base. Yeah. I mean, I like that approach, the prevention method, you know, but uh, like 
in real life like how do you set this up concretely like is there a program a template that anybody can follow or so i think every every success plan will be very unique to every company that's also what i like doing uh, in consulting because every journey is very unique um it's it's basically about how do you communicate it uh, to your client base um and how do you format it how do you automate what need to be automated and how do you uh, personalized what should be um, aut- aut- uh, personalized. Um, I think what's important is also to create very strong synergy uh, with your support team. Um, so if a client have reported an issue, um, um, have a claim, has a complaint, has a bug, uh, being able to know every step of the way when something wrong happened and be able to act on this um, is very important. That would also let us generate um, alert system. Um, so from those alerts, we can build what I often call a churn machine. Um, and so the churn machine will be able to generate those alerts of like, okay, there is a customer that might potentially drop. So not even to raise a risk, but raise from the milestone and from the customer journey we should achieve, they are going down track, or there is something that happened that need to caught our attention, and we need to act on this. Um, that's, I think, when CS become very powerful, because working hand-in-hand hand with support, we can then be smart about the customer. We shouldn't call a customer trying to win them back when we know that they have experienced 10 bucks with a product. Uh, giving them a little discount is not going to make it because they are probably simply tired of it. Mm, right. Um, and being able to act on it and say, okay, I hear you and I see that there has been an issue. I'm going to go the extra mile now to fix it for you. Uh, will bring a lot more positive emotion and would reassure the customers that they are in good hands because their provider knows about their struggle um, than trying to get the last penny of them when 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 they've been tired of... of yeah. yeah. Why don't do both? So that's when sales and CS would complement each other, uh, I think, potentially. Mm. Um, if... if, if Win back must be a thing. Um, the compromise would be that it's it's carried by sales. Okay. Um, in my opinion, trying to have win back lead it by a CSM team um, is is very slippery uh, kind of tactic because it's not because the CSM is in charge of the relationship and knows the customers the best that they are the ones that are good at convincing for something that is often about money. Uh, we CS people most likely will get nervous and cannot really figure out um, the commercial part of things. Um, if it's if it should be combined, then he, I, I would really much be relieved to see it being carried by the pure sales teams that have a list of churn customer and get to the bottom of it. Mm. Um, then I would be very curious to see the conversion of it on how many of them have come back and from one year then on, how many are still there. And happy, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously impossible for you to know, but uh, I think what I've seen myself is that it, it depends on why the customers has also churned. Like I think some of the most tricky parts is like it's uh, it's almost easier to deal with somebody that has had a problem and has raised the problem. 
you know, it's, it's, there's been a bug or you're missing this feature, whatever it is, because you can somehow remedy that, or at least you know what the problem is. Mm-hmm. But I think where a lot of customers, uh, well, where a lot of companies have historically at least failed is that they get surprised when companies churn and then they realize that nobody has used the system. Nobody has complained. Nobody has been unhappy. There's no tickets. But when it's time to renew, they realize, like, oh, we never use this platform, so we're just going to cancel. It's like, so I'm curious, for in your experience, like, how do you capture uh, insufficient usage of the product? Is there a way? Um, so what I've seen in my experiences is often how do you track behavior within your platform? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, there is many tools out there that facilitate this. And I think it comes to how do you set up a like CS dashboard? So what matters in the customer experience that need to be tracked? Um, and that's different criteria basically everywhere. Um, but is the customer logging in enough, using ABCD feature, uh, trying to uh, being able to like go to one feature, but then they drop? Why, where did they drop? So setting up all those alerts, I think, are very healthy, but it does come back to the origin and the source of it, of being able to identify this lifetime journey. Um, if we have sold to many customers, how, how do we make sure that we can repeat a good experience? If we have sold to a customer where everything went well, what did we do with that customer? What did they do in the platform so it went so well and we can repeat it for the next client? Um, and I think at the beginning, the CSM has a very critical role because if they care enough, then they would get to the bottom of the reasons why a customer would like it and why would they struggle. I think there is also a lot and tons of qualitative insights in support. Uh, support is not only this big load of complaint and bug, um, there is also tons of how-to questions uh, but why do they ask the how to? Why is it not intuitive enough? Like, is there some feedback we could give to the product team, the design teams, the UI, and how do we actually build the product based on um, feedback from the client? I think there is a lot of data analysis we can do uh, in many areas of the business to identify uh, what steps should the customer complete in order to be good. When I was a CSM, back to podio days when I arrived um, in Denmark, I was running all the onboarding uh, calls, so I've onboarded hundreds and hundreds of customers on podio. And I remember being anal about the report function, because once you have a lot of data in the system, if you cannot filter and report, you basically don't get the cherry on the cake for baking the cake. Mm. Um, and that was tremendous feedback to the product team whereas if we don't change that feature, if I'm not here to tell to the customer how to use that feature, they are not going to stay. And I got so tired of it that I've run that A-B test of like, okay, I'm having that base of customer, I'm going to talk about the reports and that base of customer, I'm going to let them be. And we're going to give ourselves a year and figure out who's converting the best and who's staying with us the best, right? Right. Um, Guess what? The ones that have went through the report and like hands-on journey were 16% higher than the other guys. Um, and, and that's because every time I would understand that the customer struggled, but they didn't know where they were struggling. So if we are proactive to reach out the why 
and the what do they want to achieve and why they have purchased that product, what is our value prop, and delivering this proactively to the customer, then, then it's, it, it's, it's basically raising a healthy customer base compared to trying to catch up on, on what are we missing. All right. Did that answer the question? Yes, yes, yes. Makes a lot of sense. PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. My Newsdesk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My Newsdesk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial. And one thing that I'm sitting here and thinking about, you know, depending on your product, uh, you might have a product that sort of has a PLG motion that have, maybe you have thousands of smaller customers, you, maybe you target the SMB space, or you might sell to large enterprises and have a more complex product with a lot of integrations and maybe implementation partners and so on. So would those different user cases affect how you think about this? I think the methodology can be applied to all industries, B2B, B2C, SMB, to enterprise. Um, it would have a different shape of form. And then it, it comes down to the automation on how much do we automate. Of course, if we are in a very small value subscription, then we better do a one-to-many approach and actually figure out that plan in a more automated way. Uh, so, 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 so we can have different trends and segmentation would play a big, big role there. Maybe we have three paths for segmentation according to three segments. And um, the enterprise will be a lot more hands-on, a lot more homemade, a lot more hand-holding. Uh, but the, I think the, um, the DNA of the approach remains the same. It's, it's about reaching accountability for our customer base. So they are accountable to us and we are accountable to them to reach success. Um, and setting those expectations upfront also make an emotional pact or deal. Mm. Uh, if, if you have purchased something, but you make a deal with your CSM that these are the steps we're going to need to go through, it's going to take 30 days and I'm going to reach out five times. So be prepared. Um, then, then your customer would be accountable to you. Uh, so, so if only you can come with those five steps that actually will help simplify um, their journey, then they will only be relieved because someone would take care of them and someone has figured it out for them. They just need to listen to what should be done. Um, and that can be adjusted to any case and any size. Yeah, makes sense. Any case and any size on the customer end, right? But can, can, do you need to be of a certain size of a CS organization or? So I, I really wouldn't think so. Um, I think if we have a customer-centric approach, like a real one, mm -hmm. then there is no way around it. We need to find out what has worked for who we sold it to. Um, or all of the investments in sales and marketing are vain um, and 
and that investment will never come back in a way. So it, 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 can, it can be applied to any level as long as a team is committed and care enough for their customer base and also don't get tired of it. There is a lot of repetition work into it. Mm. And I think that goes into the next question here. What do you see as the biggest challenges when you are going for this approach? So it does take time. Yeah. Uh, it's not something that we sit at our desk, figure out for a two hours workshop. <laughs> um, it would it, it start probably by a workshop, but uh, it, it takes time to understand what it takes. Um, so I think that's, that's definitely the first thing, because especially nowadays, everything has to be quick and uh, and fast forward. Um, I think the other challenge is also in this whole data analysis. Um, that because it takes time, we need to be able to track and measure what works and what doesn't and be able to have different criteria in place. Um, so having that sense of data analysis is also not a given, um, especially in an early stage startup. I always talk about cohort analysis. I remember when I first started, I found it extremely complicated. Um, so I think it's not so easy to access. But once you're there, then it's very game changer because then all the work that you do from your desk as a CSM, then you get like the big macro picture eventually after a few months of work. And that's extremely rewarding. Um, and then it's down to really caring. Uh, so there is a big people side of things. Do we have the right team in place? Do we have the CSM that really takes the extra call and the extra question and uh, can do that 100 times uh, without thinking it's boring? Uh, but instead, like a little ant, right, that would carry like all of their food during the whole year, um, that's that. That, that, that's also down to it at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah. And I think it all makes sense. And uh, I imagine that why a lot of people do the, the winbacks. I, I have ran an organization that used to do that. Much, much to my fault, I suppose. <laughs> but it's like you don't want to be leaking revenue. No. Uh, and especially times like these, you know, and if, if organizations are smaller and investors look at your churn or how much is your NRR, it's a disaster to have existing customer leave you and lose that turn. So if, if you need a quick fix to, to retain some revenue, like what is your advice? So um, I'm not sure about the quick fix, uh, <laughs> but I think uh, focusing on the existing base um, mm. with a very precise segmentation in place would definitely be the right place to start. Mm -hmm. um, I think this big uh, churn is not necessarily a dramatic, evil things. Uh, it could also teach us uh, who is the ICP and who should we focus on and feed that back to marketing and sales. Um, if most of our customer base or at least a consequent percentage is churning, there is a reason behind. So let's find out that reason. What is the source of the problem? Like why, why is it that they go um, and get to the needy, greedy detail of that to reinvest up in the actual existing base to not reproduce the same mistake. So the soonest we stop that behavior, and switch gear to be customer-centric. I think that's when we can start monetizing customer success uh, with 
expansion, upsell, referral, all of those uh, tactics instead. Um, looking at the inactive customer base before the churn is also a very good start who are signed up and have a subscription but are inactive in the product um, to whichever we define inactivity into the business. That also depends on what we actually sell. Um, and, and showing the weakness or when did the customer drop or when are we looking at a risk Uh, so we can also forecast that churn. Uh, that would also be extremely healthy to be able to predict what we're looking at. Like if our customers is, is trending down or trending up, that's also extremely powerful in a boardroom. Um, instead of looking at the result of percentage of churn, which to me is lost and should stay lost. Um, but, but, No, nothing prevents us to call them up and actually understand the why. If we, and I think that's what I've been seeing is that we often have those like five big reasons of churning, but it's not, it's not detailed enough to be helpful so we can go back to maybe it's right. the product teams that don't have that feature or maybe it's marketing that targeting the wrong ICP and we keep on selling to the wrong customers because we cannot deliver what they expected there is so many uh, there is so many good reasons to churn and if only we could prevent them um then everybody would like to purchase something and stay where they are no one really like to change or acquire something new right um so so i i would i would more look at at the real reason and then take action from it mm, yeah So we thought we should surprise you with five quick questions here. The shorter the answer, the better. Curveball. <laughs> exactly. Curveball. One, should the CSM carry a revenue quota? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. If, if, ah, come on. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yes, if. <laughs> the product or the service we are selling enable upsell, cross-sell and growth opportunities. All right. Great. So two, what's the main KPI that the CSM should be measured on? Time to value. Time to value and? LTV CAC. I knew it. Okay. And three, what's your favorite CS tool? Depends how we say, define CS tool. I'm a big fan of Zendesk for support. Okay. Okay. How many accounts shall a CSM handle? Impossible to answer. As in impossible. I, <laughs> I've seen CSM handling from 10 customers to a thousand. All right. So the last one here is CSM closer to product or sales? Product. Why is that? Because that's how we can close the um, feedback loop. You heard it here. And that's another big topic of mine. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then probably going to go back to that topic uh, at another time sounds interesting so we are at the end of the episode soon but first we want to hear more about what's in the future for you and Shh. like hold on before you answer that like you know my mind is derailing did we ask you how you came up with the name Ooh. like how, how like how did you come up with it because it's spelled s c Triple H. So uh, Triple H, I guess I figure okay, out. Okay, yeah. here we go. Go, go for it, Daniel. You're so close to it. Because if it was, if it was the other way around, the C first and S, then I would have been like, that makes a lot of sense. Customer success. But you flip them. Where am I from? You're from France. 
And what do we do in France? You drink wine. You eat snails. <laughs> Escargot. <laughs> And we inverse everything. Have you, I mean, I switch things around all the time. So, customer success in French will be succès client. Ah. Success client. Ah, oui. Ah, we should have gotten that. And one day I was doing the dishes and I was like, I need to find a name for that thing. And I really don't want to call it like... Consulting Smart by Hélène. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sounded like uh, an uh, Eau de Cologne or, or something. <laughs> by Hélène. Okay, so, so we established how you got the name. It's very cool. I like the thought process. And I'm pretty sure the domain, nobody had ever thought about buying that domain. So congratulations. We want another, so hmm? what, what, is, what does the future hold for you? And shh. I had another joke about the name, but we take that at the next spot. No, but you, you can take the joke about the name. We'll take any joke. <laughs> The time I wanted to buy the domain, right, obviously. So I ended up with sh.io, which would be shio, uh, which is a, pe a, a, a puppy in French, anyway. <laughs> uh, but I could also have purchased sh.it. Mm -hmm. I'm at sh.com. You know where it goes? Schweppes. Yes, Schweppes. Yes. So I couldn't get that one. I couldn't get sh.fr, but I could get shit. For <laughs> <laughs> But then I didn't. I took IO. Okay. Mm. Cool. Wait. Makes sense. To be more Makes correct. sense. So going back, going back to the question, the future. Um, future of we are looking at uh, investing a lot more in ops because um, ops there's uh, magic in the background uh, to give everyone a much more enjoyable job. And that's also what we want to enable our client with. Mm -hmm. So after the summer, we will uh, expand the team with um, CS ops and a lot more advanced uh, technical skills. I think that's also, that's going to enable us to be even more plug and play uh, for our clients to have a lot more technical rollout um, and implementation. Um, and and reach value. I think reaching value and having an impact for our clients is number one priority since day one uh, for us. Um, and acquiring more ops uh, knowledge would enable us to reach that at a much faster pace. All right, uh, which I think is very would be very appealing for our clients. And maybe this goes into the next question. I don't know, but what are you looking for right now? If you can make a shout out to the community and or make a wish. Make a wish. Uh, so we are looking at expanding those, the offerings that we have so we can reach out to new clients. Mm. Um, Scandinavia has been our market uh, to, to start with and we are the closest to it. Mm. Uh, but we are, we are very ready to work fully remote or hybrid or any SaaS businesses in Europe. I would also be happy to go back to New York where I first freelanced. <laughs> Are you hiring? So, always. Always, looking. okay. Yes. Uh, many companies, you know, they're, um, they have words for the employees. We worked at InRiver. There were InRiverians. If you work for shh, what do you call? We don't talk about that. <laughs> Okay. All right. We're Fair enough. Helpers. We, are, we always like to see ourselves as our client as the little helpers in the background. Okay. And, and then we work on very concrete things and then they take all the credit and joy of that. So we are, we are working at... Is there anybody in uh, the CS world in the community 
or for any, for that matter, in any, in any other part of the B2B SaaS space here, that you think that person is really inspiring, I'd listen to an episode if he or she was on it. So I didn't have any, I don't have any names because uh, you found out that I'm very bad with names. Um, but I think having a very operational focused investor VC, someone who's like, who cares so much about making the business work into what they invested would be sensational, you know, like very down to it and, and into what it takes that I would love that. All right. Yeah. Let's find one. And if you're listening to this and you think it's you, you can, you can call us. Try your luck. <laughs> <laughs> But with that, Ellen, uh, a pleasure. So great and fun to speak with you always. Thank you. And uh, yeah, hope to see you soon again. And likewise, thank you so much for having me again, again. Like Thomas said, always a pleasure. Take care now. Hope you have a fantastic summer. Bye-bye. Bye. Au revoir. <laughs> Au revoir. <laughs> Okay, Daniel, what was your takeaway from the episode today? Uh, I love Triple H's uh, energy. It's just like, you know, at the event here, it's fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Helen. Um, I'm actually going to derail a little bit or go off script here. Uh, I 100% agree with her. It's about the prevention, all of these things. And I think it goes back to, you know, a, such a boring topic as to making sure you win the right customers mm. because you know at the end of the day if your sales brings in customers that are not a good match there's no cs organization in the world that can save that so i think it all starts with that in order for you to be to not have to do win backs uh to be successful with your prevention you got to make sure to first and foremost land the right type of customers And then I think I also liked what you said here about, you know, having the program, making sure everybody is successful, but it's an ongoing thing. I think I've seen too many companies where they make the renewal process. It's an event. Mm. Oh, here's all the customers that will renew in three months. Let's do something with it. That's the wrong approach. Yeah. Like there shouldn't be an event. It's just, you need to take care of them all the time. And then the renewal will actually be automatic. Yeah. Off the charts a little bit, but yeah. What about you, Thomas? Well, so I was thinking about that and what would be really cool to do. And probably a lot of you guys out there are doing this, but, you know, keeping track of the uh, the user adoption over time, you know, seeing what features that, that are using, are they, you know, how much are they using the tool? Are they using the, the right things to, to get the full value of the product? And, and being, you know, proactive, um, measuring that and follow up on that and, and not just ask on the QBR, uh, you, know, you know, how it has been the last few months or so or, mm -hmm. or just following up on the support ticket. So it, it would be cool. I, I have never seen that myself, you know, in practice. So it would be really cool sometime to see how a company works with that on scale. I agree. I agree, and there's tools for it now. Like lots of lots of platforms out there and technologies that can help you yeah. understand. So it would be cool to learn more about that. Yeah, uh, just from a personal perspective. Yep. I think that's it. And um, if you have, uh, if you maybe want us to follow up on this, maybe you have a guest that you are thinking of or a particular topic, feel free to reach out at contact at or reach out via 
via LinkedIn or if you're in the Slack community and so on. We are very available in general. So Dan, what can we look forward to in the fall? Uh, we've said it before in, in some of the other uh, endings in the, in the episodes, but obviously for us, the fall is also a big event season. So one, there's obviously going to be the meetup, the social gatherings, we'll meet uh, across different Nordic cities here. But then there's also some of the, the big flagship events here. The Sassiest Digital 2023, our big digital event, where we have some of the greatest speakers in, in the space take the stage to share 100% free of charge their time, their learnings with you. Uh, that's going to be lots of fun. September 27th, you go, you can go and fetch your ticket at sassiestdigital2023.com. Uh, but of course, a little bit uh, later in the fall and closer to the winter here, we also have a new event for, for us, which is the Sassiest Investor Day. And that's a little bit of a matchmaking exercise. Yeah, what more can you tell us about that event? Uh, so, uh, the world has been crazy. Uh, and a, a lot of, uh, you know, investors put pulled the brake a little bit. And also a lot of founders also pulled the brake a little bit because they felt like, you know, I want to raise money at the right time when I need it, at the right valuations and so on. And we've come to the point now where, you know, we still need to make these these two worlds meet here and we're going to facilitate meetings between founders that have strong and good and real cases that are looking to have an infusion of intelligent capital not just money but intelligent capital and find a partner that can help them with that so we're going to match them with investors that can bring that intelligent capital so not just the money but also open up some doors help them if that's at a u.s establishment so we're going to do vetting on both sides here and then we're going to pair you guys up to have a solid conversation. So if you're just window shopping, if you're not really raising capital, this is not for you. If you're a VC, just like, ah, I want to see what's out there, it's not for you. Like, we're going to have real cases with matching with people that have real funds to invest right here, right now. Good stuff. And then after that, we have our job stay as well. Uh, so if you are hiring then uh, that could be a thing that you can participate in and showcase your company and open positions. But that is in the beginning of December, so it's a long way to go. Yep. And uh, we hope that you have a great summer, that you get some time off and um, sort of recharge the batteries. And we will stay on. We will do at least one episode a week here during the summer, so you can listen to In the Hammock. And uh, with that... The episode is to an end and we um, we hope to see you soon again. Take care.